Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Hey, welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm Carlos, the host of This Much I Know, Seed Camp's podcast. And today will be our very first live video podcast. So hopefully this doesn't fail. But um, today I have the director of Codec, Dom Hallis, on, on the show. Uh, welcome, Dom. Thanks. Hi, Carlos. How's it going? Great. And the reason why I wanted to chat with Dom is because Dom has been great in championing the startup ecosystem to UK government. And we'll learn a little bit more about him and um, Codec on this show. So, Dom, let's start off with your background. Um, tell us about how you got into politics. Yeah, so it's funny. I, I always tell, I'm from Leeds originally, and I always tell the story as like the vast majority of kids from, from Leeds. Um, I just really wanted to become a footballer when I was a kid. Um, uh, but my, my uh, not very promising football career peaked about age 11, but I was really competitive. So I was like, well, what? I've got to do something competitive, right? And then I really, really enjoyed politics because it was competitive. There's elections, you know, like it's a, it's the sort of thing you can get your teeth into. And so uh, when I was 18, I went and volunteered with my local MP, who's a guy called Greg Mulholland in, in Leeds, uh, to help out on his campaign. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I ended up helping sort of run his campaign that year for the election, and, uh, and he won. Um, and then I sort of subsequently did a bunch of jobs that, uh, you know, worked around politics specifically and sort of helping uh, in, in local politics, where, like, the best way of describing it is it's the perfect thing for someone who's really young, uh, to do because there's no money in it whatsoever and you have a ludicrous amount of responsibility <laughs> for, for someone who probably doesn't really know what they're doing uh, but you get your teeth into stuff and and you know you have a chance to to really enjoy it and so yeah so that's i mean you know i i really enjoyed it and and it's uh it's nice i always think even now when when i sit in between technology and politics it's nice to to do every day something that is fundamentally a hobby that i'm accidentally paid for which is mm -hmm. which is always enjoyable and then what, you know what what did you end up doing from there is that um is that when you transitioned over into uh some of the work that bloomberg was doing yeah so then i did i did a a few years in sort of what i would call proper politics which is a kind of electoral politics and, and working directly with politicians and then um and then i went and worked in consultancy for a while political consultancy and one of our biggest clients at the time was was bloomberg uh and so i had a great relationship with those guys and they were looking for someone for uh for one week to go and work on a project um because Mike Bloomberg was going to meet uh, the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, and they needed someone to help produce some stuff. So I did that for a week, and at the end of you know not not long after that, they said, "Well, why don't you just move there and help us run this project?" So, so I went and lived in Delhi for a couple of years and and, and ran a project out there uh, along with a bunch of other folks for for the foundation at Bloomberg, uh, which was great experience. And you know, really, I think uh, I always say like if there's a sort of one where I would describe the majority of my career, and it's the same thing I do now, it's kind of translating between two slightly different worlds. So, you know, what I do now, that's between startups and, and politics and politicians. Um, and, and in India, it was literally between a, an organization that was run by a billionaire who had made his whole, you know, his whole sort of uh, fortune off of data and the understanding of data and how to manipulate data hmm. compared to an Indian bureaucracy that was, that was not quite that. <laughs> and how you could effectively communicate what the opinions of both were to each other in a way that didn't upset everyone. So yeah, I think it was, there were life lessons in it, but also, I mean, India is a beautiful place. I actually, um, I worked with my now wife on the project. So uh, it sort of worked out in the personal life as well. Oh, that's great. And uh, I think you touched on a couple of things there that, that 
I think maybe is worth talking about in in light of of um, you working now with uh, Codec and government and startups is what are the misunderstandings that people have about politics and policy? I know that you were involved with some of the startup manifesto and some of the work that Codec did. We haven't even gotten to what Codec does, but right. but but let's just talk a little bit about like what are the common misunderstandings that you're now having to field sometimes with how government works and and how you need to liaise with them. Yeah. So, so the, the first thing I think is, um, is that the, the best way of describing it. And like I said, this is why I always describe myself as a translator is that fundamentally startup world like politics is a bubble and it has its own language and its own customs and its own understandings of how things operate. Um, and politics has its own language and its own customs and its own way of, of understanding how things operate. And so if, you know, founders or, or, or anybody comes and communicates to government like they would communicate in their own bubble, government says, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, and likewise, if government comes to, to startups and, and says, well, what do you think of um, this specific policy idea that we're pursuing that, and we'll explain it in the terms that they would explain it in Whitehall or in Westminster, understandably, startup founders go and say, well, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Now, that doesn't mean, I think this is the most important thing, is like, that doesn't mean that, that both sides don't care about communicating with each other. They really do. They're right. just really, really bad at doing it. <laughs> and so much of that comes down to, I mean, I remember, Carlos, like we went and, and sat in a, um, we did a sort of parliamentary hearing together. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, yeah of course. And, um, and like at the end, I remember you saying like, well, how, how did you know that they would laugh at like some stupid joke that I told about like the home office being bad or something. And it's like, that's a classic case, right? It's like, that's a, an ongoing joke forevermore in Westminster that if you weren't in Westminster, you wouldn't, there's no reason to know. Why would you care? Right. Like, and so it's that kind of, you know, a lot of our work at Codec, like which we can get onto in a bit is, is about helping founders to understand that language, understand those customs and communicate and vice versa to understand, help government understand like how founders see the world and like what, what help they would need and, and what, you know, mm. why and how you would approach them. Yeah, no, and th maybe that's a good segue to sort of set the, the context for what Kodak has been, what it is and what it's doing today. And, yeah. you know, we're obviously recording this in the middle of one of the most disruptive things to the, that's ever happened in the history of startup world and other industries. And of course, the government's doing some amazing work in getting relief yeah. to not just small businesses, but large businesses and different industries. And so maybe what we can do is we can kind of fork the conversation into two parts. We can say a little bit about how Coda got started, what, what its projects have been to date, some of the more notable ones. And then, of course, now uh, what role it's playing in, in helping startups navigate this really tricky time. Yeah, sure. So, so on the sort of background on Codex. So, first of all, what is Codex? We're we're a lobby group for for tech startups, right? So, mm. you know, if you go uh, and and you're watching television on on uh, in, in the news, you'll see that these lobby groups exist for everything. That's the whole point: is that you have industry groups that represent you in public debate, um, and so we're there to represent the startup ecosystem as best we possibly can. And what does that mean in practice? It means uh, issues like access to talent, so immigration policy and skills policy, which is probably the number one issue that uh, founders will talk to me about. Um, access to finance, so how do we incentivize people to create businesses and then how do we make sure there's the right kind of you know, venture capital ecosystem to help people scale businesses and what role does the government play in that? And then the third thing is regulation, which is you know everything from kind of at the moment, you know, the online harms discussion and what, what it means to regulate platforms right through to data protection, right through to the future of AI policy. Mm. And, and, you know, it's kind of, so it spans an awful lot of ground. 
I mean, just on the sort of background to Codec, and I think this is a really important context to have is, you know, we were founded in 2010. So it's our 10th, our 10 year anniversary this year um, by, uh, by Jeff Lynn, uh, who's our, still our chairman today, who um, is the founder of Cedars. And, uh, and Mike Butcher, who's the tech journalist, who's the, the editor of TechCrunch. And so it was very much a sort of community-driven project. It was a sort of by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Mm. And I'm really fortunate. I took over as a director of Codec in 2018. Um, and before me, there had been a couple of people, uh, um, you know, a, a full-time executive directors, Romilly, Dennis, and, and Guy Levin, who had done a spectacular job of building that relationship with the government. So we were already a credible voice. So I can't claim any of the credit for that. You know, we, they did all the hard yards in establishing Codec as a brand within the sort of Whitehall Westminster machinery. And so much of what I do is kind of continuing to leverage those relationships to build our own new relationships to make sure that on those issues that I described and a whole bunch of others like the ones that we're currently seeing, um, but also things like Brexit, we're, we're able to put our voice across in a way that is clear and constructive and, and hopefully useful uh, uh, to the sort of policymakers as they're taking these policy decisions. Yeah, Brexit. Remember those good old days when that was our problem? I know, right? That was, it's such a, it's such a weird, so, so it's so funny. I mean, I like, uh, on the, you know, we'll get onto the coronavirus stuff in a, in a minute, but, but I, a month ago, so, so it's the 10th of April now, and when we're recording, and the, uh, just over a month ago, on the 9th of March, I had a roundtable where I was sat with the Chancellor and a bunch of other folks, but with the Chancellor at breakfast, and coronavirus was barely a topic under discussion. Like, so it's quite remarkable how the policy sounds shift, you know, like, like a year ago, all I would have spoken about was Brexit. And, you know, now, obviously, this is completely, you know, it's a brave new world. Yeah. And I think that it does, it does reflect, I think that um, that's almost, that's one of the things why, why it's so mm. important to be in these policy discussions is mm -hmm. because if you don't, my, my friends in Europe who, who work on the same policy areas as I do roughly always have the saying, which is, you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. And there's certainly a, an element of that in the way in which we think about policy, which is, you know, you have to be there shouting because in these moments, the circles don't broaden for government. They actually close. Like they're much tighter because they need to get the information as quickly as possible and not have 50 competing voices, but ideally have three. And like, and it's like, how do we communicate like that as a community is one of the sort of big questions that I think we're kind of wrestling with now, but we'll continue to wrestle with for, for years to come. Yeah, and, and maybe this is a good chance to talk a little bit about the victories to date. I mean, first of all, mm. Codex stands for the Coalition for the Digital Economy. And, yeah. and as such, you know, Jeff and Mike and, and everyone has created a lot of good friends that have supported uh, Codex to date. And, you know, the outcome has been a few projects. And maybe you can talk a little bit about those, especially a lot of work that you've done regarding uh, putting the UK first in, in international eyes post-Brexit. So maybe we, before we move into Corona, maybe we talk a little bit about those those victories and those projects, and then also how startups tend to consume the output of Kodak. Yeah, definitely. So so in terms of the sort of the victories, I mean, I would look at, there's a few things. Some of them are probably a bit before my time, but I think they're really important. Is If you just think back to 2010, is the best place to start. You think back to 2010, where where the UK was policy-wise um, for startups, you know, what where the UK was as a startup ecosystem comparable to elsewhere in the world. And it's completely different. It's a completely different, you know, we see where we are today and it is miraculous that the progress that has been made in 10 years. And the vast majority of that is down to the great entrepreneurs and the, you know, the funders who are funding them and the products they're building and the consumers who are consuming them. 
But ultimately, like a lot of that is also down to uh, the kind of policy environment that's been created. I always say like this, you know, there's fundamentally three things that startups need to succeed. One is the talent to build the products and services that people want. The other is the capital to build the products and services that people want. And the third is a regulatory environment to build the capital and services that people want. And so like the that third bucket is the thing that we're really focused on. And so you look at things like EIS and SEIS that are now, you know, like baked into the way in which we think about early stage financing for startups. And that's a policy win. That was where the, the British government has helped deliver that stuff. And we've been advocating on those issues for a long time. You know, if you look at um, talent policy, for example, immigration policy, uh, you know, that's a, a much harder sled to, to, to push when it comes to the British government. And we know that, but actually we have seen successfully a sort of increases in, in the you know the, the level of talent that we're able to get in the door and how we're able to compete internationally. And then there are also the sort of really, I think this is really important for us at Codic, the really niche and specific issues that relate directly to our community and probably not much beyond. So, you know, at the end of the day, like things like uh, uh, immigration policy, every business group, uh, you know, in the world uh, advocates to get more talented people in, of course. But, you know, we've just been doing a big piece of work on the R&D tax credit, which is, uh, you know, claimed by the vast majority of early stage businesses in our ecosystem to make sure that it's up to date. So they're able to claim for the things that, um, you know, that they actually pay for to do R&D, as opposed to the things that the government thought they paid for to do R&D. And so like, they're the kind of issues that you know, outside of the big chunky things like Brexit and making sure, you know, that, that the, the capital's in place and the talent's in place. There's also a bunch of sort of smaller issues that are specific to, to our ecosystem where we can have a big impact. Mm. And in terms of that last question about how startups can interface with that, because I mean, at the end of the day, there's of course information that's coming out the, the door, right? That, that you're kind of synthesizing a lot of views and then you're going to government and you're, you're lobbying on behalf of those issues. And then there's reports that come out the other end. But for startups, how can they be more involved? Yeah, so, so, so there's a few things. Like, I mean, I think you, you're absolutely right to describe that, that sort of challenge in communication. Like, I always say, you know, a, a traditional trade association or lobby group uh, in, in, in politics would, would have, you know, if, if I was running a, a, a traditional lobby group for, for an industrial sector, say, how it would work is you would have a bunch of members and every day I would go into work and then they would ring me up and say, what are you doing about X issue or Y issue that we need fixing? Now, actually, the most majority of our interaction with the startup ecosystem is, is the other way around, because like most startups don't, A, they don't, priority is, you know, the priority is not on policy, but that is not, that is not their, their MO. They don't exist to, you know, care about policy. And, and B, like the, the way in which it's communicated isn't from government, isn't necessarily to their benefit or to their understanding. And so, so much of our job is, like you say, kind of communicating that downwards to them and explaining, okay, so we think this will have X impact upon you. What do you think? Like, are we correct? Is that assertion that, that seems reasonable? And then we'll say, okay, you'll take a specific issue, say like online harms, and we'll say, okay, we're concerned that this specific proposal from government could impact negatively in this way, even though it has good intentions. Yeah. You know, why don't we test that assertion with a bunch of companies that are in the space that are smaller and, you know, exactly in the wheelhouse of our conversations and then band together and get 15 or 20 of them to start advocating to government for themselves. Mm. Because so much of it is, you know, there's, there's a certain power to me saying the thing to government and, you know, that's my job, but there's a lot more power when you have the founder in the room advocating for it as well. So, so much of it is, you know, latching onto those issues and then going out and communicating to, to the founders directly and making sure that they're in the room having those conversations. Yeah. So you're coordinating, I mean, you're in many cases, coordinating meetings between founders and government. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, the kind of both from a formal where advocating on an issue that's on the table perspective, but also just that, that sort of informal, less kind of um, issue motivated discussions yeah. that allow the, these groups that would never talk to each other to talk yeah. to each other. So like, you know, it, it's just very rare that um, an early stage entrepreneur would meet a member of parliament. Like as in, and so, and most members of parliament, like that, their career path was not to be an early stage technology entrepreneur, you know, shock horror, right? So like they've never experienced it. And so, and it doesn't, and the point is that in most cases, like they're very open and and understanding of the concerns and want to help. Like, you know, tech startups have a good name. And so it's like, how do we effectively communicate those good stories is is, is half of the battle. All right. So now let's switch to COVID-19 related stuff. Yeah. What's the latest? I, 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 I know that there's a lot of initiatives. Maybe you can walk through like where we are today as of April 10th in terms of ideas, um, things that government's trying to do, initiatives, just the general dump catch up. Yeah, definitely. So, so I mean, there's a, there's a few things. So first of all, what kind of, what's the impact we've seen? What support is available? And then what, where do we think they need more? So like, um, what is the impact? First of all, we know that the biggest impact, the, you know, 95% of our conversations over the course of the last roughly month since, since this sort of crisis started when it comes to policy has been around liquidity in the ecosystem. So we have understandably seen uh, a drop off in, in deals being done, but more importantly, just a drop off in number of funders in the market. And so, like, we can either see that in the data where you see people like Bohurst and, and, and Seed Legals and others have, like, some really compelling data showing that, the, the you know, the, the money in the ecosystem is, is, is declining, or the stories, and I have an inbox full of uh, founders who have, you know, had term sheets pulled, have had their investors vanish, uh, have had, you know, one where they got through, they were in the due diligence having signed term sheets, and then they've had it pulled. And I think that... The important thing to say here before I sort of go on to, to um, what the response would be is in a lot of cases, that's not that's not the fault of the investors either. So for, as an, from an entrepreneur's perspective, like we know that that's an awful position to be in. But from an investor perspective, you know, they're also looking at the chain at their LPs and their LPs are having conversations with them. And, and you know, so it's not it's not a simple picture. But the reality is that that means that, you know, comparatively to two months ago, it's a much, much harder environment to get a company funded. Mm. Um, and then combined with that, you've seen a drop off in demand because we're all, I mean, we're communicating today uh, in our houses, like I'm locked in my flat in Brixton and, and I can't go out and consume these products and services as easily. And so, you know, you have this uh, sort of vicious circle of um, a uh, drop off in demand for investment, a decline in demand for product. And therefore, a shortening runway, which results in an investment, and you know, it's a it's a constant cycle that's really worrying. Now, what can uh, what has the government already done to help with this? And then, what what do we think they should do that's more? Um, what they've already done is, is there are lots of different things, but the three main schemes that are most helpful for startups or, or most relevant for startups, uh, some of them are less helpful than others, is the C bills loan scheme, the, the the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, uh, the. Uh, the CJRS, which is the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme or the furlough scheme, and the and the business rates relief schemes. Now, um, the problem with these three schemes is that uh, even though they're designed to help small businesses, they accidentally leave out tech startups in most cases. So that so the the job retention scheme, the furlough scheme, is the only one of those really that is applicable to tech startups purely by accident. That has not been the intention of government. The point is they've pulled levers that work for 85% of businesses, but just simply do not work for venture-backed business models. So we know that 
If you ring up your bank and say, I want to get one of these Seedors loans as a tech startup, they say, what we, we like you, you know, you're, you're a great business, but you don't qualify. You don't qualify. And the reason for that is something called the viable business test that's as part of the loan criteria, which says that if you're loss making and if you venture backed and you burn through cash as venture back businesses do to grow, you don't qualify. Mm. And so it's not even in, you know, even if the bank wanted to, they couldn't give you the money. So that capital lifeline that is provided to um, other businesses across the economy that the government has intentionally provided to other businesses across the economy and provided 330 billion pounds of guarantees to do so is simply not available to the tech startups in our ecosystem. And so that's a huge issue, which I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. Um, on the job retention scheme, what we've seen is, uh, you know, what what is that in practice? It's that the government will cover uh, the costs of up to 80% of what they're calling furloughed workers, up to £2,500 a month uh, for the next three months until I think roughly June. Um, and again, there are challenges there with the how the, the tech startup you know, exactly could, uh, could use that, partially because we're slightly higher paid than the traditional sector, you know, we're more than the average, but also because, um, you know, if you've just got five employees, like you can't, you can't furlough three of them and hope to carry on working. Um, but, but ultimately like that one is available to people and, and the companies are absolutely using that. Um, and then the, the business rates relief that I talked about, which just simply isn't targeted at our sector, partially because a lot of the businesses in the tech community are subletting or in co-working spaces and don't pay business rates. So, <laughs> so they don't get the relief. Um, so like there's, there's lots going on, but, but actually it doesn't amount to much when it comes to the tech community. And so, um, there's a bunch of work that we're doing along with a bunch of other partners to try and come up with a coherent package that, that would help startups in this situation. And, um, what we've seen is internationally in France and in Germany and in France, they have a, now a 4 billion euro package of support specifically for the tech startup ecosystem. And in Germany, a 2 billion euro package of support. And what we're asking for, and what we're communicating to government through campaigns like the Save Our Startups campaign that we launched the other week with some partners, but also, you know, in the kind of day-to-day -day meetings that I spend my hours, you know, spend my hours using every day is, um, like how do we make sure that we're able to access the same kind of liquidity package, the same kind of cash package that every other business in the economy has? And how do we make sure that we have comparable support to what startups in France and Germany who are ultimately our competitors in an international market will have? And so that's what we've been pushing for. That's what we'll continue to push for. I mean, it's a lot of, lots, lots of good insight into how the schemes that are in place work, but also in some of the work that you're doing. How, how can startups support you right now and how can they help push some of these things through? Yes. So, so there's two things. First of all, the first is, you know, uh, in addition to the things I've just described, and it comes back to the conversation I had earlier, what we're also looking for is those niche issues that are specific to tech startups that will fall through the net unless we raise them as part of this coronavirus process. So I'll, I'll give you an example is, um, you know, we know that, for example, a huge number of tech startups use the EMI uh, enterprise management incentive scheme to set up share options. Now, there is a, a question as to whether or not a furloughed worker under the furlough scheme would therefore not be allowed to access their share options if they're brought back into a, into a company. Now, that was clearly not the intention of the furlough scheme, and it's something that we hope we'll be able to fix. But it's exactly the kind of issue that won't get raised by any other sector of the economy because they mm. don't use the EMI scheme. <laughs> and so like there are those kind of stories of your personal experience as founders of, you know, both the support being offered by the government and where that can be improved, 
but also you know other parts of of the you know the economy and your you know your interaction with government that has been impacted by the coronavirus and the changes and so that's one part is those sort of those sort of specific problems and then there's a second part which is just the ability to go out and tell your stories about your experience in the present funding environment and there's a there's a real challenge here and it's it's, it's a hilarious one which is you know, a lot of founders just are terrified to admit that they're going to struggle to raise money. Mm. <laughs> and like, and and I think that it's, it's hard It's because we, I'm very sympathetic. At the end of the day, you know, like, understandably, people are really worried about going on the record and saying like, look, like, unless we get some help, like, we're not going to survive this six, nine months. But that is the reality for a huge number of businesses. And unless we're able to uh, you know, if you're able to share those stories with us, even on a private basis, it just provides that fodder, that that proof that uh, that to the government that more action is needed, that more help is needed, mm. and that you know it gives us the ammunition to go in and, and and sort of really fight for the community to get get a package that will work. Well, that's a lot of really tangible uh, actions to take. Thanks for that, Dom, and thanks again for all the the good work that that you're doing. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's been great to see the work that you guys have done in the past and how that's reactive to the conditions that are going on in the in the moment to wrap things up i just want to end with something fun um yeah lighthearted. uh i think we're all discovering new things as we're all cooped <laughs> up and uh, what's one new skill that you've picked up as a as a thing of being locked up new skill god this, this is a good question so so um i'm i've been enjoying uh so actually I, one, one thing i've been doing is and I've been cooking a lot more because like, because apart from anything else, like you just can't, I'm, I'm a terrible. And so when I, when I lived in India for, for Bloomberg, I actually lived in a hotel for a year. So I my cooking skills are non-existent because I just ordered room service for a year and it was a very decadent lifestyle. And so I, I've been making uh, breakfast with my, my wife is vegan. And so it's like, it's like fake eggs made with tofu. Uh, which actually are better than that sounds. Um, and uh, <laughs> I realized that it does not sound appealing as a descriptor. But yeah, so my, my cooking skills are vastly improved um, is, is what is probably the, the best answer I could possibly give. I mean, what, what would you say to that, Carl? So that's why I'm intrigued about it. Well, actually, you, it's funny you mentioned cooking because that one's been the one for me. I, um, I've, I've started to master cooking on the hob. Uh, I, I, okay. I, you know, buying, buying particularly anything that you can grill uh, yeah, you know, I used yeah, to just burn yeah. that stuff. Actually, I have set off the <laughs> today. I set off the fire alarm twice, uh, so I I'm fully there yet, but but hopefully soon. Well, that's uh, the thing. I mean, it depends how long the lockdown goes down, but I'm expecting you know Gordon Ramsay esque. Like that's that's the thing is that you've got a bar to reach. If if it, if it extends, you know, the quality of your cooking should go up, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, on that note, Dom, thanks again for joining us, and um, you know, all the insights. We'll share some information about Codec on the show notes, and uh, I'll hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.